Today, uh, I wanted to kind of end the year uh, together um, by ending the story that we started uh, at the Christmas uh, Eve programs on the 23rd and 24th. Um, if you weren't here at the Christmas programs, then you're going to be totally lost and you should just go home now. Um, you, you can just call it quits. Um, but really the, the, the story that we hit on, if you weren't here, uh, at Christmas was the story of the prodigal son or the story of the lost son that comes out of Luke chapter 15. And it's a story that Jesus told. And we zeroed in on the, uh, first part of that story, uh, about the younger of these two brothers uh, today, we're going to look at the, the older one. But if, if you weren't here, um, what I want to make sure that we just really remind ourselves of often is uh, this story, uh, the, the story of the Bible, uh, really the story of history, uh, certainly the story of the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. Uh, even the story that Jesus tells about this lost son in Luke chapter 15, it, this is not the story of how mankind made their way to God. It's not a story about how you and I were able to clean ourselves up good enough to be in a relationship with a holy, perfect God. This is a story. The gospel is a story. What Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15 is a story about how God makes his way toward us. That, that he's always the one that's searching. He's always the one that's initiating. Uh, he's not the one that's lost and we find him. Uh, we're the ones that are lost. We're the ones that are dead. And when you're lost, you're lost. When you're dead, you're dead. You need someone else to come along and uh, rescue you. And that's what God has done for us. And that's what God continues to do for us. That's what God did in sending Jesus for us. I mean, it was the ultimate rescue mission. That's key for us because we're looking into a year next year where there's a lot of exciting things happening. I hope for all the challenges and hardships that you face in your life, that there are some exciting things too. There are exciting things for us as a church. Uh, we're excited about the possibility of opening another uh, campus in our community. We're excited about the stuff that we're doing in Flagstaff. We're excited about the stuff that we're doing in global missions. We're, we're excited about whatever God wants to do in and, and through us. But we're not more excited about what we get to do, then we are excited just about the fact that you and I get to be in a relationship with God. I know that's not rocket science, but I just want to slow us down and just kind of uh, rest in the relationship that you have with God. And if you don't have one, then... Uh, then maybe this next couple of months or next couple of uh, seasons for you would just be about discovering how much God's already been pursuing you and that more than anything that he wants from you, he just wants a relationship with you. What's that even look like 
For those of you that, that are new to Jesus, I mean, it might be really fresh. Those of you that it happened a few years ago and it's gone flat or you've been walking with God for a long time, you know that it's a roller coaster, kind of like any relationship. But it's really easy for you and I to get hung up on this thing of everything that we're going to do for God and, and our, our uh, being an instrument of his or a tool of his that he's going to use and completely miss the beautiful, simple fact that what he really wants is for us to be his kid. He doesn't want us to be a slave. He doesn't need us to be a servant. He wants us to be his son. He wants us to be his daughter. That's, that's the foundation. That's the simplest, best part that we should just stay anchored in all the time. A lot of people, when Jesus was telling this story in Luke chapter 15, the religious ones in particular, uh, were trying to make sense of Jesus. They're trying to figure out uh, what he's like, what God's like, what we're like. And knowing the, the, the question that was rattling around their head was, uh, why does this man, Jesus, eat with sinners? Why does he hang out with those sorts of people? How does someone like him hang out with someone like them? And knowing that was the question or the accusation or the, the thought, he, uh, he tells three stories. Uh, he tells three stories about three lost things. Uh, a sheep that wanders away from the flock and the shepherd and the shepherd goes, finds the sheep, brings them back and there's a big celebration. There's a woman that loses a precious coin and she tears her house apart looking for the coin. And when she finds it, there's a big celebration. And then the last story that we started on last week is a story of a lost son or a prodigal son. It's a story of uh, really uh, not a, either son. It's a story of a dad. Uh, there was a man who had two sons. And he's got one son that... Uh, Rather than having a relationship with the dad, he sets off to a distant country uh, to sort of fill up his life uh, with, with anything that the world had to offer, only to discover that uh, that wasn't going to satisfy the way that he hoped it would. And he hits rock bottom. And he's hit the end of himself and he picks himself back up and he begins his journey back home thinking maybe my dad will make me a slave because being a slave to my dad would even be better than what I'm experiencing right now. Only to discover that the dad is in a full-on sprint for his son already. And he wraps his boy up in this huge embrace and a kiss and and gives him sandals for a feet and, and, and ring for his finger and puts a robe on him. All the rights and privileges that come with being a son are, are given to this boy. And then there's a big celebration. But there's an older son. There's an older brother. And he's been hanging out. And what we find is that the one son was lost out in a distant country and he's willing to be made a slave. The other son, he's lost at home. And he thinks he is a slave. 
Now, the, the totally different stories and different personalities and, and how their lostness is playing out in their life looks totally different. But what's in common? They're both lost. What's also in common is they both think that they're slaves to their dad. What a distortion of the truth. And I feel like this is a game that the enemy continues to play today. The devil loves to to distort uh, the best things, good things. Uh, He he loves to, to flip things upside down on us. And no wonder that that families are under attack at the rate that they are. I mean, God gave us family. And the best case scenario of family is that somehow uh, a child, a kid, looking at their mom would get a little taste of what God's like because they know their mom. Best case scenario, a kid would look at their dad and get a little bit of a feel in a sense, God must be like that because they know their dad. But we also know that families don't always pan out that way. And we haven't been the parents that we should have been to our kids, or we didn't have the ones that we always wanted above us. And then it's like a double win. The enemy uh, wins twice. One, he wins because he's wrecked a family situation. He's brought some tension and disconnect there. But two, he wins because he's messed up our picture of what God's like. You might start to think about God as father and think of your own and you go, well, gosh, if he's like that, I don't want anything to do with him. Or God as parent and you think of a mom that didn't work out so well. Well, I don't want anything to do with him. But if you've had a good one, how much easier is it, right, to think of a good mom or a good dad and go, okay, if God's a parent like that, then and multiply times a million, trillion, gazillion, then oh, okay, that's pretty good. God doesn't want you to be a slave of his. He wants you to be his kid. If you have your Bible, look at the book of Luke and go to chapter 15. And where we're going to zoom in here is uh, the back half of the story that Jesus tells, answering the question that the Pharisees and the scribes had, why does Jesus do what he does? What does it mean that he eats with sinners? And maybe even what does it mean that we don't eat with sinners? What's, What's that mean for us? The son, the younger ones, already wasted everything, got broken down, beat up, come on home. There's a celebration that's going on. And now we zoom in on the other boy and see how the dad interacts with the other boy. Jesus telling the story, there's so much that we should see in us, in these two boys. And there's so much of what we should see in God by how the father operates. Luke chapter 15, look down at verse 25. Telling the story, Jesus says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. 
do you know that you can tell an awful lot about, uh, about yourself based on where you are? Um, if I just kind of followed you around for a week or a month, uh, I, I could tell something about you. If you were always at work, I, I would say something about you. Uh, if you're always alone, that would say something about you. Uh, if you're always behind the scenes, that says something about you. If you're always in the spotlight, that says something about you. You're always spending money. Uh, you're always uh, asking for money, whatever it is. Now, where you are says something about you. Where, where is this older brother? Where is this son? He's out in the field. Uh, he, he's at work. And we have to work. Work is good. Work's important. But it also tells me uh, that, that he's in stark contrast to his younger brother who had not been at work, had he? Uh, he had squandered everything and wasted everything and gone just to party it up. And now, now he's back. And so already there's some contrast being uh, set up. The, the weird part about it is, is, is the connection, though, between the older brother and his dad and the younger brother and his dad. The younger brother's at a distant country. The, the, the older brother, proximity to the dad is a lot closer, but their relationship is still distant. That's important for you and I to catch. Some of us have had those seasons where we've just gone uh, head first into whatever the world had to offer. And we are uh, distant uh, relationally from the Father. We're distant uh, proximity-wise from home. But, but there's also plenty of us in here that are like the older brother. And we're technically close to the Father, but not relationally close. Uh, we're, we're filled up with a whole bunch of work, uh, religious work, spiritual work. Uh, spiritual activity, but spiritual activity does not always equal close relationship with God. You know how easy it is just to come in here and leave. Oh, I got a little, you know, injection of, you know, spirituality today. I got a little dose of, of God today. And if, if you hung out with any other person as infrequently as you and I can hang out with God 62 minutes in, in a week, if you spent only 62 minutes in a week with your best friend or your spouse, how close would you be? That's not relationship. Oh, let's grab lunch and just touch base and that's it. That's not it. All the spiritual activity in the world uh, doesn't necessarily equal close relationship. And he's excited for you and I to, to do amazing things in his kingdom for him. But he's not more interested in that than just you and him being in a relationship with each other. This son is working He's proximity close to the Father, but not relationally close. And when you're like that, don't be surprised 
if there's some amazing stuff that starts going on in the house that you don't even know about. The son's out in the field working and he doesn't even recognize when his brother that's lost and dead comes home. Why? Because his radar is not up for that. He's focused on his work and work alone. He's outside the house. And other people, the servants, are more clued in about what's going on inside the house than the son is in this situation. Well, verse 28, the old angry and refused to go in. Why, why do you become angry? You ever been angry because of grace? You ever been angry because of grace? Not, not when you receive it. You're never angry when you receive grace. You ever been angry when somebody else receives grace? That you don't feel like deserved it? Someone else receives grace that you don't feel like really earned it? Oh, come on. Every single one of us have. You may not have said it out loud, but you think it. You see, you, you, you see somebody else, you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh-uh. They've been living that way for that long, and they think they're going to waltz in here for free and get all the good stuff, and we're not even going to hash over their, their past and their mistakes and the way they treat. Uh-uh. Especially the way that I've been living in contrast to them. I who did all the right things and said all the right things and stayed in the right place all this time. And the, the grace of God, the grace of a really good daddy that went out to a lost prodigal son that had wandered off and wasted everything and then came back is the same grace of God, the same gracious daddy that goes out for the older son too. There's grace that goes out for worldly sinners and there's grace that goes out for religious sinners. And that daddy goes and seeks us out. He pursues us out. When we get angry and refuse to go in, guess what God does? God does what he does. Our daddy does what he does. He goes out. God always comes out to us. He's always pursuing us. He's always looking for us. He's always uh, trying to plead with us and, and, and entreat us and, and win us over and catch our attention. And we don't always hear it, right? Because sometimes uh, God's pleading is in a whisper. Sometimes his words for us are, are not loud. He, he's not going to push himself on us. But the son's angry and the dad goes out and has a conversation. Verse 29. The son answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. There it is. And never disobeyed your orders. There it is. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Out of the overflow 
of the heart, the mouth speaks, is what Jesus said. And so you and I can tell a little bit of something that's going on in people's lives when you watch where they spend their time and how they, where they are. But you, you can tell a lot about me, I can tell a lot about you by what comes out of your mouth. And, and you hear him, I mean, he gets rattled here, he's angry, he's upset, and then here it comes. It's come gushing out. And what comes gushing out of him is blame. Uh, blame on the younger brother. Uh, blame on the, on the dad for welcoming him back this way. What comes out of his mouth is resentment. All sorts of stuff coming out of his mouth right here that's just an indicator of what's going on in here. But more than that, push in to his language here. Does this conversation sound like a healthy conversation between a son and a dad or a conversation between a slave and his master? Between an employee and the boss? All these years I've been slaving for you. I've never ever disobeyed one of your orders. Who does he see his dad as? An issuer of commands, a, a slave master. There's a disconnect here. That again is not what God has for any one of you in here. I think it's very easy for us to get swept up into this Christian life that feels an awful lot like being a slave or it sounds a little bit better, but a servant. Just use me up. Help me change the world. I want to do great things for you. Okay, that's fine. But if we try to launch out to change the world in Jesus' name from our own strength and forget who we are, who your daddy already says you are, you'll wind up exhausted, angry, resentful, unsatisfied, ineffective. He doesn't want us to operate out of slaveship or even servanthood, but rather sonship. And daughtership. I know this isn't rocket science, but why, why is it so hard to receive that? Just that God loves you more than you could possibly imagine, and he wants you to be his kid. By the way, there's no like to-do list today. There's no so what or action item for this sermon necessarily. I, put that on hold for a minute. Just rest Rest in who God already says you are. The son's going to hear it loud and clear from dad because dad's going to say it here, verse 31. My the father said. Okay, the next time that you're beating yourself up, the next time you feel disconnected, the next time you feel like a failure, the next time you've uh, done something you shouldn't have, Stop and pray. Daddy, did you know scripture invites you to call God Abba, uh, Abba Father, 
It means daddy. That's a different level than just father, daddy, daddy. Stop and pray, daddy. Who am I again? That's it. No more, uh, sorry about this, and I need to know what to do about that, and uh, what's the next, stop it, just, Daddy, who am I again? I can't sense you, or I think I've just hurt you, or Daddy, who am I again? And then, just listen to him say, you're my son. You're my daughter. Okay, and watch how that just, begins to saturate you. Picture that you're three or four years old, climbing up on your big daddy's lap. And he just looks down at you with those awesome, compassionate eyes and just says, you're my son. You're my daughter. That's, that's all I need you to catch right now. And by nature of that, you're always with me. And then he says, everything that I have is yours. Did you know that everything that God has is yours? All his strength, all his promises, all his power, everything that God has is yours. Why? Because you do everything right all the time. No. Because you're his kid. And what? Good dad, what good mom would not lavish everything that they have on their kid that they love? Everything I have is yours, he says, as an inheritance, not as a wage that you earn for your obedience. That's not the relationship that God's talking about, a transactional sort of thing where I do the right thing and then God pulls in his part. I give God something, then he gives me something. That's not it. The story of the scripture and the gospel is the grace of God, unmerited favor of God toward an undeserving people. He's always initiating, always lavishing, regardless of what we do with the grace when we get it. He's that good. And that's his thoughts to you. I've got an inheritance to you. You're not earning my love. You're not earning my grace. I don't give you everything that I have because you obey. I give you everything I have because you're my kid. There's grace for you today. There's grace for the worldly sinner. There's grace for the religious sinner. There's grace for everybody. I heard a story of some guy, true story, came back from the Vietnam War. He bought himself a sports car and he wanted to go out and test it, see how fast it would go. And he got this thing out on a backcountry road and he floors it and he's flying down this backcountry road. He's got it up to top speed. He comes up over the crest of a hill, comes down the other side. Highway patrolman right there. And he knew it was over. So he slammed on the brakes, but he was going so fast that it took him almost a mile to bring the car to a stop. He pulls over. 
and waits for the cop to get to him. He gets out of the car, pulls his, his a license from his wallet. He's there sitting on the hood of the car, waiting for the cop to show up. The cop pulls up. He says, do you have any clue how fast you were going? The guy said, no. He said, you were going 163 miles an hour. And the guy said, no, that's, that's about right. Now he's waiting for the hammer to fall. And the cop says, um, would you mind if I looked under your hood? I just want to see it. And the guy said, oh, okay. And he, he, he didn't write him a, a ticket they, they got in the car and they drove down the road to a little cafe where they had a cup of coffee together. Now, some people say that's, that's grace. That's not grace. That's mercy. <laughs> mercy is when you, you don't get something that you really deserve. What did he deserve? He deserved a ticket, right? At least. Uh, maybe the, the cop bought him the cup of coffee. Now that's getting something that you don't deserve. That's grace. And, and yet, even if that happened, that's such a, that's such a fraction. That, that's not the full scope of grace that the Bible paints the picture of. That's certainly not the full scope of the grace of God that he's got for you. The type of grace that God describes is, this doesn't even do it justice, but it would be more like the guy driving down the backcountry road at 163 miles an hour. He comes up over the crest of that hill and he loses control of his car as he goes over it. He smashes into the cop car. He totals his car. He totals the cop car. His car spins around and crashes through a barn and into somebody's living room, wrecks their whole house. Scares the cop half to death. The, the grace of the scriptures, the grace of Almighty God is a grace that would be like the cops looking at that situation and saying, okay, I got to write a ticket. And he writes the ticket himself. And then the cop says, but here's grace. I'm going to pay your fine. And I'm going to pay for your car. And I'm going to pay for the police car. And I'm going to pay for this person's house. And then I'm going to take you down the street, and not just for a cup of coffee, but I'm going to take you for a good old-fashioned Cracker Barrel breakfast giant size, and I'm going to pay. And that is even just a fraction of the grace of God that he has for us. You all display so much of the grace of God with each other. I see it. I experience the grace of God in the way that we interact. My friend Steve right here that prays incessantly for, for me and my family and the grace that comes that direction. My friend and little brother Cody right here that just always encourages me. Every time I see him, it's a smile and it's a hug. It's, it's encouraging. The grace of God comes through each other that way. Before we go tackle the world... Here, here's what I'm praying for for myself this next year. And here's what I'm praying for our church. What if for 2019, here's what we're going to, here's what we're going to uh, go after. I want to learn 
better next year? Just how to be his kid. That's it. I want to learn how to be his kid. I want to learn to relate to him. Yes, he is sovereign, holy, God almighty, set apart from me in every way. And yet I want to also relate to him as he invites me as daddy. And then second, I want to learn how to celebrate when lost people get found better than I ever have before. I want to learn to be his kid and then I want to rejoice when I myself or anybody that I know gets adopted into his family as one of his kids. Anybody in with me for that next year? Sound like a good way to spend the year? I think so. And so, Father, uh, thank you for pursuing us even when we don't look your direction. Thank you that you allow us freedom to go our own direction and uh, to discover sometimes the, uh, the error of our ways, discover that our little G gods pale in comparison to you, the only one true God. Thank you for moments that humble us. Keep us humble. We thank you for your grace that's available to us. Well, we, we know, Father, that we're not going to just keep on sinning so that grace can abound, just doing whatever we want because we know that you'll forgive us anyway. That's such a gross abuse of your grace. We're also not going to uh, hold you at arm's length and just think that you're our boss or our slave master. Help us all just lean into what it looks like to relate to you as our daddy, to learn what it is to be your kid. I pray that for those that have been walking with you for a long time, that that would be a refreshed season for them. Pray for those that have never experienced that, that they would just enjoy hearing you call them son or daughter over and over again this next year. Change our hearts, change our relationship. Most of our, oh God, we, we just thank you, God, for chasing us down, pursuing us constantly. We don't deserve it, but I love that you do it anyway. In Jesus' name.